Welcome to Dreamers and Unicorns, brought to you by People Strong. Hey Ginny, who do we have today? Well, Abhijit, today our guest is Renuka Ramnath, the founder, MD, and CEO of Multiples Alternate Asset Management. You can talk to her about creating winning teams. Okay, great. Let us start the show. I was wrong. I always thought that the world of high-stakes finance celebrates individuals. But private equity is really a team sport. The volatility, complexity and ambiguity surrounding the variables that move the money market are really too many for any individual to fathom. But then, it needs a special kind of leadership style to lead such a team and when the landscape around is ever-changing. Hi, I'm Abhijit Bhaduri and I work with organizations to transform their leadership teams, talent strategy and culture. On this episode, I am talking to one of India's most prominent leaders from the world of finance, Renuka Ramnath. Hey Renuka, welcome to Dreamers and Unicorns. Um, Renuka, you have a really impressive track record. You've uh, been the first generation of women business leaders who's raised money in some absurd numbers, very large amounts of money in the markets which have been considered fairly traditional. And if you look at your journey, you started off in a world which has largely been very male-dominated. You're one of the first people to walk that path. So tell us a little about what were those moments early in your career what are those inflection points that has made you what you are today? If I look back on my journey, it is a bunch of entrepreneurial ventures, but within the umbrella and comfort of a very large financial brand called ICICI. So when I wanted to get into private equity and I looked at some of my international peers, what they were doing in India, it was fascinating for me that along with money, you're also holding the hands of the entrepreneur and walking the journey together of building the company. Mm-hmm. That fascinated me and I wanted to commit myself to that. Which one do you enjoy more, raising money or guiding the entrepreneur? And in some sense, that's like living vicariously. Absolutely. And of like course, that? in multiples, uh, it is... Uh, Living, uh, living the life of an entrepreneur. Stepped away from ICICI 10 years back and founded this private equity firm, which is an independent firm. And uh, it raising the money is a precursor or a prerequisite for investing with the companies and walking the path with the entrepreneur. Of course, the act of building the company is a highly creative one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is full of surprises uh, and no amount of preparation is going to be sufficient because you are living the market dynamics every moment. So that's obviously very, very fascinating. And you actually had to, um, you were one of the first investors in e-commerce companies. What made you look at that potential of e-commerce? What what was that? What it, did you see, anticipate? So in the peak of the internet time, I happened to choose to do an executive MBA at the Harvard Business School. And all our case studies was around how internet will disrupt and create new economic opportunities. 
uh, I was really bitten by the opportunity of creating wealth out of e-commerce companies. Mm-hmm. I looked around a lot, especially what was happening in the West, and I said, why not use the ICICI platform and build some of those companies in India? Mm-hmm. The first one that we built was uh, a payment company, which was uh, stylized uh, on the lines of check-free in the mm-hmm. US. Mm-hmm. We called it Bill Junction. We also built India's first internet payment gateway. And uh, it, these were exhilarating times where... Sitting inside a bank, you were doing a totally entrepreneurial activity, which was leveraging of the credibility of the bank, the capital of the bank, but totally independent in terms of conceptualizing the business and executing them. Renuka, when you look at your investment portfolio, imagine it like a pie chart. What are some of the sectors in which you have invested and what's been your basis for making that kind of a decision? So financial services in India is a very, very big opportunity. So roughly 33% of our portfolio fund after fund is committed to financial services. It's also a very broad sector. It includes non-bank finance companies, which could be lending companies, mortgage companies, insurance companies, wealth management platforms, and so on. What interests me in financial services is the aspect of penetration and inclusion. So -hmm. in a country as large as India, even today, no matter which product you touch, whether it is a credit product or an insurance product, Mm -hmm. the penetration is so low that the growth opportunity is available probably for the next two to three decades. So that's a very interesting subject. It's lovely to see people empowered by these financial products which allows them to explore more possibilities of their own professional and human potential and uh, provide more for their families, save better and have a better life. Indian consumption sector is another very, very large and a very happening sector Mm -hmm. in India. Mm -hmm. Uh, So in Indian, Indian consumption again, if you look at the entire pyramid of consumption, you would have... Uh, the mass affluent moving up aspirationally, trying to buy uh, more branded goods, more expensive goods. And then you have the uh, uh, the larger, uh, the bottom of the pyramid moving away from non-branded goods to branded goods. Mm-hmm. So it is the aspiration of the young Indian population which drives the thesis in this investment. And then there are disruptions that have happened. I mean, for for instance, I think the Indian kitchens have got completely disrupted. Mm-hmm. Today, uh, I often hear people say that my son orders whatever he wants, my daughter orders whatever she wants, and I just cook for myself or just for me and my husband. So the Indian kitchen, which used to have the same food for the entire family. And that to a joint family in some cases. Absolutely. Where three generations would often eat together and have the same food has become a distant history. So there are many opportunities that are coming, arising out of these disruptive habits uh, that are coming in into the next generation, which is Uh, kind of kindled and fueled by uh, technology. That's a very big uh, opportunity. And the third is 
just the technology sector itself, uh, where we could look at digital disruptive stories or other B2B technology opportunities, which are again making businesses more competitive by either reducing cost or by increasing reach. Lastly, the pharma and the healthcare sector is again, given the nature of our country, the large population and the lack of sufficient alternatives continues to provide a very, very large set of opportunities in that sector. When you think about uh, somebody wanting to build a career in financial services, yeah, is this a good time to go in for something like that? And the reason why I ask is that, you know, in a world which has now become so hyper-connected, uh, you know, a recession in one part of the world impacts somebody else as well. But India has largely been a fairly insulated market because a lot of it is domestic consumption. Does that make us more immune to these fluctuations? So would you say that finance is a great safe bet for a career choice um, today if some, for someone who's starting off? What would you say? Finance has always been a great career choice. A, as a sector, it employs the largest number of uh, people. What percentage of India's workforce would that be um, approximately? No, in terms of percentage, it would still be less than 1% because the organized workforce in India itself is a very small That's true. That's uh, true. Small percentage. But in terms of just the number of million jobs, in terms of the number of women who are in the financial sector, the statistics would be very interesting. Uh, financial services has become more fascinating because markets have become more dynamic. They've become more volatile. Mm. And therefore, there is never a dull moment in your life as a professional. You know, you can never say, oh, I've learned this, I've done it. I can just do this again next 50 times without thinking about it. Every day, every moment is a new moment exactly because of what you said, because we are living in an integrated world and anything happening in any corner of the world could have an impact on what you are doing. Uh, and therefore, extreme agility, uh, ability to uh, be completely in sync with what is going on in the market and what's going around the world uh, makes it also a career that will keep you mentally very, very sharp for a very long period of time. And when you look at uh, your own experience of uh, being in the, you know, in the financial services space, what are the things that you feel you want to know about today? You know, is it the instruments and the way of structuring stuff? Is that what interests you? Or is it the insights about the consumer and the shifts in society or economic trends? What do you put a lot of weight on as you think about your investment strategy? I'm in an extremely interesting business of investing. Uh, and therefore, there are two big advantages to my business. One is I have an opportunity to look at the entire universe before mm. we make a choice on where we will invest our capital. And two, we are not married to any business because we invest and divest within five years. So we don't have to carry the can of legacy. Today, what fascinates from an investing standpoint is emergence of new business models, which are predicated on both new consumer behavior and ability for technology to create value much faster than what we have uh, created in the past. Give me an example of that. 
So for instance, uh, we have an investment uh, in a company called Dream Eleven. Okay. This is e-sports. Fantasy sport. Right. This is not a business that even existed, right? Five or six years back. Now we are talking about creating value of couple of billion dollars or even five billion dollars potentially uh, in companies of this uh, nature. And uh, then there are companies in fintech, you know, which could uh, completely bring about a revolution in how we think about providing individual loans. These are small loans. They have to be pro- approved in matters of seconds. You may not collect any information about the customer on a physical piece of paper you are trying to understand the customer and mm. the activity that you are trying to finance based on the customer's credit score and various other trails that the customer is leaving in social media and in other media to make a very very quick assessment as in in seconds about the customer's credit worthiness both in terms of does this customer deserve a credit and if so what's the amount that we can give so these are fascinating uh, you know i would say very interesting very revolutionary business models which can create enormous value in a fraction of the time that some of our legendary brick and mortar companies uh, uh, have done so that is uh, very exciting for me And while we are at it I want to take a quick minute here to thank our partners in the show People Strong who are just as excited about the new code of work as I am People Strong has been working with over 300 enterprises across Asia and it is testimony to the fact that the businesses of India now are finally beginning to look at their work tech and HR tech initiatives keeping this new code of work in mind and I think that is the reason why brands like Aditya Birla Capital Amar Raja Group, Chola Finance, Bank Bazaar, Vmart, Future Group, Sar Group, TrueCorp, Singlife, all with different kinds of business contexts and different geographic presence are also connected by a common thread of People Strong's technology. Uh, you work with a lot of entrepreneurs and you did say that that's the exciting creative part of the business. When you think about um the entrepreneurs, um does the role of the founder change? as you are looking at um, you know when the person is a uh, small team so of a particular size and there there are many theories that f- up to 50 people is one kind of an organization 500 is another and 5000 or 50000 certainly very different what makes a founder successful in actually growing it at the kind of a pace that a financial services investor would look for and be delighted you are very right that the role of founder has to change and founders who recognize that very early on go on to build highly successful lasting enterprises in the beginning of the journey it is the entrepreneurial energy it's the passion it's the ability to see an opportunity that the rest of the world is not able to see that gets a company going and that's what the founder really brings to the table but as you build scale it is very very important to institutionalize everything because otherwise you will fail in the scaling up journey and then comes a time when the founder has to move on and leave the institution behind in the hand of highly successful uh, professionals some founders 
find it very difficult to let go of mm-hmm. their companies give decision making power in the hands of professionals trust professionals to take all the right decisions going going forward and they suffer therefore their inability to scale the company they may sell or they may even lose it at another uh, point of time right so it's very important to think of your company as not uh, as a founder as not a com- company that is yours but a company that you help create and uh, that you help scale rather than to say this is mine you know in in some ways what you're saying is that the the founder must really start thinking like an employee and an employee must in turn think like a founder in order for there to be a you know a, the perfect harmony is that uh, you know valid statement that's very true it is the job of the founder to build a very high level of ownership in each and every employee especially in the current context where we are living in a very very dynamic and a volatile environment mm-hmm. you want everyone in your company to show agility pick up the trends pick up the risks pick up things that competition is doing which could destroy you and carry the message to the right person within the organization so that the organization is continuously responding to market challenges and market demands in a timely manner if you build an organization where only the founder thinks and the rest of them simply do what that person carries in the current context you will become extinct it is only a question of how quickly it is there is no doubt that you would not be around after 5 years when you look at the uh, the ratio of the startups you know and in, in my terminology i think of them as dreamers and the next phase as unicorns yeah so what turns a dreamer into a unicorn you know if you were to sort of look at the three biggest mistakes founders make uh, founders who are dreamers what prevents them from becoming unicorns what are the three most common errors some founders suffer uh, the fallacy of continuously changing the story mm-hmm. and so the team is not able to really keep pace and they are really not building anything right so that is one thing that founders should uh, really watch out for second fallacy is many founders think that they have answers to everything so they stop listening as you scale the company things do become completely out of control for one person mm-hmm. you can't keep everything under you know your nose uh, because things are happening ubiquitously things are happening way beyond what one human brain can handle mm-hmm. so it's very important at that time to bring good leaders underneath you and empower them and listen to your team members listen to the board members listen to a good set of advisors so that you come up with the right response to what your business uh, requires the third is uh, you know there is some founders think that everything is mine people around me are only there to cheat me or you know take away some value it's uh, however hard it may be it is important to trust uh, professionals and run an organization which is transparent mm-hmm. uh, today's youngsters demand a lot more about what's going on at the top than what probably uh, uh, 
people demanded 20, 30 years back. So for a founder to say, it's not your botheration, you just go and do what I've asked you to do, is not going to find favor with really capable people. And one of the most important job of a founder is to attract highly capable talent, empower them and retain them. And they would demand to know uh, what is the vision of the company? What's our five-year journey? Where will you go? What is your preparation for that? And where is my place in the next five years in this in this company? Founders have to make time to uh, engage uh, your employees and empower them and make them feel that they are owners of the company. They are owners of the businesses that they manage and they influence and they bring the output. That's very, very important. Mainly because, uh, you know, the most important thing, Abhijit, is that most of the highly value-creating businesses mm -hmm. in India are uh, knowledge business and not brick-and-mortar business. So we are making a very systematic change in corporate India from uh, asset-intensive brick-and-mortar business, which was owner-driven, to a knowledge-intensive, ubiquitous, faceless kind of organizations where people are creating value. Uh, the founder's job is really to create a vision of the possibility of a disruption in an existing business or creation of a new business, but creating an environment where each and every employee is able to contribute to that creativity and create an inimitable company. I mean, that's when you build the unicorn. Otherwise, you will Remain go a as an unsung song. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And, and you know, one last thing that I wanted to say was that um, a lot of people, you know, have tried to um, increase the amount of women leaders at the top of the organization. I think when you look at the number of women in an organization per se, um, 95, 97% of that population is really at the entry level or the mid-level. Um, you know, what are two or three things that would help to get women into the top roles? One of the biggest advantages I had in the organization I worked was there was really no distinction between a man and a woman. This is not a thought that would cross anybody's mind right from our chairman to our watchman. You know, so mm -hmm. it was purely meritocratic. Just to give you an example, in mid-90s when I had a personal tragedy and I really wanted to run away from the country, I uh, put up my hand and said, why not I go and set up office in the Middle East? You know, let's start with Dubai and there is a lot of NRI money to be channelized into India. And my chairman said, by all means, go ahead. If you're interested to do this, we will uh, support you. The venture did not take off for a wide variety of technical reasons. But I had the privilege of taking my chairman to meet so many Arabs, so many important people mm -hmm. in the UAE to explore possibility of opening an office there. In any other organization, people would have said, do you want to choose a woman, uh, you know, and that to a widow to go to the Middle East? I mean, you must be really crazy, you know, to uh, to permit something like that. So. The most important point is to drop this notion of man and woman and simply say that I'm going to run an organization which is meritocratic. If a woman succeeds, she would get the job. If a man succeeds, she would get the job. 
having said this there are certain biological uh, differences and a woman will go on a maternity leave a woman has to feed the baby a woman naturally assumes a much higher level of responsibility towards home and children and to that extent if a little bit of flexibility can be given uh, for the woman to still pursue her career aspirations and deliver the same except with a little bit of flexibility mm. it could be coming in a late late or taking a day off but making it up during the weekend when the husband is home to take care of the home uh, or whatever whatever that may be the factor that helped me the most is in icsa we were a number of women uh, who were all highly aspirational we were very competitive uh, you know and very very keen to get to the top but we were great support for each other contrary to the belief that women don't work with each other in icsa we were the biggest support for each other mm-hmm. so when we had our down moments when we had our doubts whether we can keep our career and also have a happy home you always had a helping hand a helping shoulder where you could you know without any fear or inhibition share your uh most uh you know i would say the deepest of anxieties and find an answer and right through that trough right through that very very short period of extremely hopeless moment that you would go through somebody is holding your hand and you quickly snap out of it and then you have even forgotten that you had that down moment i think building that social support system if you don't have it within the organization outside of the organization is very important for women but i would also say a lot is in the hands of the women themselves and if you never had to ever worry about money what would you spend your time doing i love art music any creative uh, pursuit so i would fill up my time going to concerts art shows uh you know looking at any aspect of design whether it is interior design architectural design fabric design i i just love anything so that's so the dreamer great. is still very much there yeah. <laughs> hey renuka thank you so very much for coming here and it was lovely talking to you thanks once again hey listeners thank you very much for listening to this episode of dreamers and unicorns by people strong season 1 of the new code of work series if you like the show or have any feedback for us please rate and review us on apple podcasts i am abhijit bhaduri and you can find me at abhijit bhaduri on linkedin and twitter so until next time thank you for listening and goodbye This show is brought to you by People Strong, Asia's leading work and HR tech company. For more information, visit their website at newcodeofwork.com. Dreamers and Unicorns is a made in India production. Editorial producers: May Thomas and Sean Phantom. Producer: Sharanya Subramanian. Assistant producer: Janam Devan. Sound design and edited by: Kartik Kulkarni.